On the 10th of January, our Prime Minister announced the government would double their spending for relationship counselling and for parenting classes to the tune of £70 million. Now, the need for that is crystal clear when you look at the statistics of what the breakdown of family life is costing us in the UK. Last year, it was reported by the Relationship Foundation that the estimated cost of family breakdown in 2015, just last year, would cost the taxpayer a staggering £47 billion. £47 billion, which actually is very close to the cost of the national defence budget. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Today in the UK, there's a record number of children, over 3 million, growing up in lone parent households. And it's estimated that over a million of those have no meaningful contact with their fathers. And the rise of cohabiting in our nation suggests that these problems will most likely increase as parents who cohabit uh, are three times more likely to be separated uh, by the time their child reaches the age of five than those who are married. At its most extreme level of family breakdown, there is a worrying rise in the number of children entering into the care system. Uh, I could only find figures for 2012, which said that at that year there were 67,000 children in the care system. Family breakdown is one of the pathways to poverty, the statistics show. Lone parent households are two and a half times more likely to be in poverty than couple families. Children um, who experience family breakdown are more likely to experience behavioral problems, uh, perform less well in school, need more medical treatment, leave school and home earlier, become sexually active, pregnant, or a parent at an early age, report more depressive symptoms and higher levels of smoking, drinking, and other drug use during adolescence and adulthood. Adults, likewise, can suffer greatly. The stats show family breakdown can lead to worse mental health, especially depression, lack of self-esteem, which can then hinder effective parenting and lead to multiple relationship transitions and, as I've already said, poverty. Family breakdown is a huge issue in the UK. So what does God have to say about family life? Well, it's to that subject that we turn today in our series in the book of Colossians. So please turn uh, to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, hopefully you'll find a Bible around you. If you turn to page 1184, you'll come to Colossians chapter 3. For those visiting today, we've just been working through this letter for uh, a few months now. And this is the passage we've come to today. It's not especially picked for Sam's baptism. It's just where we're at. So let me read from verse 18 of Colossians chapter 3. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. This is God's word. 
in less than 50 words, what we have here is a Christian framework for a flourishing family. The Bible has a lot more things to say elsewhere about marriage and family life, but in a very concise form, Paul has put together a framework for Christians to have a flourishing family. And that's what we're going to consider this today. But uh, briefly, why is it here? Let's just remember that the Apostle Paul has been teaching these Christians in Colossae how to stay on track in their Christian lives. A life that is pleasing to God is not about running away uh, to uh, uh, running away from normal life to a monastery or a nunnery. It is one that works itself out in our everyday relationships. Uh, to be a spiritual person, to be a person who's in relationship with God, it is really seen in our everyday relationships. That's what's so uh, encouraging and uh, challenging about these verses. It all began back in chapter 3, verse 1. It starts with the, the most crucial relationship, our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And uh, he's writing this letter to tell them to stay rooted in Christ, who brings about their new resurrection life. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Or, or 3, verse 4. Christ, who is your life. It is the reality of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That Jesus, uh, who is the very image of God, God come in human flesh, came to this world in order to die upon a cross so that um, our sins, our guilt from our sinful behavior could be forgiven. That we could be reconciled to God. He stands in the place of sinners. He provides the means of reconciliation. So if we put our trust in him, then uh, we're made right with God. And, and God has, uh, the, for those who trust Christ, he's united our life to Christ in such a way that there is a new um, resurrection life, the resurrection of life of Christ at work in every believer. Christ in you, the hope of glory, a, a great phrase from the book of Colossians chapter 1. And it's important that as we uh, consider all these other relationships that we're gonna, we've been looking at in Colossians, that we understand it's all rooted back to the truth of the gospel, the truth of our identity and union with Christ. It, 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 this is no mere moral, ethical framework that you're supposed to go about by your own strength, pulling up yourself by your own bootstraps. No, this is a, a life that is encouraged and empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, since you have been raised with Christ. It's crucial that we get that relationship with Christ cleared up first. Then from that, he goes on to other relationships, the relationships that we have with other people at church. And he, we, we've examined how he encourages them to, um, uh, to put off the old life and to put on the new life. Uh, that we are God's chosen people. And so the old life we live, where we live for ourselves, needs to die as it died with Christ. And that we now need to put on the new clothes that fit the new life of the Christian. And we're to do that in a community uh, of the church. We're to do that in a community where uh, Christ's peace rules, where Christ's word dwells amongst us. That that's how we're going to go about it. And then he goes to the next level which is our relationships at home. 
And next week, we're going to see our relationships in our work roles as well. But this week, we're going to focus about the home. True spirituality is seen as we fulfill our roles as husbands and wives, children and parents, uh, employees, employers. Um, Someone shared with me this week that when they disciple others, they, they share with them how we must invite the Lord Jesus into every room in our home. That's true, isn't it? That Jesus, who is Lord over all, needs to be Lord over every bit of our lives. And it's so vital that he's Lord over our family life. He's Lord of each room of our house, as it were. We can normally put our best foot forward on a Sunday morning. Most of us can stretch to that. But actually, who we are at home is who we really are, isn't it? It is so much easier to be grumpy at home. It is so much easier for our gratitude to dissolve at home. And so who we are at home really is who we are. And, uh, and Jesus is Lord, wants to be Lord over our home life. And that's what we're going to examine today. So let's think about this framework uh, for a flourishing family. And it's in pairs. So consider the first pair, wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now I know that in this culture, as soon as you uh, read verse 18, we feel a bit uncomfortable, don't we? There's a certain discomfort as we talk about wives submitting to their husbands because our society tells us that happiness comes when I'm liberated from all responsibilities and all expectations of others and so then I can fully be the person that I'm supposed to be and chase after whatever my heart desires and that's true freedom. That's what our culture says to us in lots of different ways. Our culture also tells us that if we submit to another person then that actually is demeaning to us. If I submit to someone, it demeans who I am. Submit to a man? How demeaning. It implies that I am less than equal to him. That's what our culture tells us. But let's just remember all those stats about family breakdown in the UK. Uh, the, the, the society that we live in that just says, oh, this, you know, this, this talk of submission, this talk of, of responsibilities and roles... Abandoning that has put us in the mess that we're in. A mess that is costing us just as much as our national defense budget. And so we should be humbly willing to freshly listen to what God has to say about a framework for marriage. The Bible's crystal clear that men and women are equal before God. They are equally made in the image of God. And The Bible is also clear that God has made uh, the man and the woman to to be complementary. We have complementary bodies. We have complementary roles. And when it comes to marriage, each have different roles and responsibilities. That when practice and the lordship of Christ will promote a good, healthy marriage. What's one of our great problems today? It's a society of... Where, where there's the absent father. 
where there isn't a loving, engaged husband and father in the household. And there's kind of a crisis of masculinity in our culture as men struggle to understand what their role is in the Western culture. Well, God has got a pattern here. And it's a pattern that uh, teaches the expectation of this, that the husband is to serve his wife and family by exercising leadership in the home. There is a God-given duty given to the man to lead and direct, to protect and provide for his wife and children. And the wife is called to accept and support the leadership of her husband. Now, do you see how important it is to put these two commands together? Can you see here God's pattern for a Christian marriage? The wife is called to submit to her husband's love and care. Do you see the import of these two statements together? The, hu- the wife is supposed to submit herself to the husband's love and care. This is not a command for wives to submit themselves under a cruel, abusive husband. It is a command to submit themselves under the loving care of their husbands. And before we think that such an injunction makes women a doormat, then have a little study of Proverbs 31. What an incredible woman she is described as. Actually, most women find it a bit depressing to read Proverbs 31 because this woman is unbelievable. Under this biblical pattern, you have a woman who is a mighty manager of the home, an effective businesswoman, uh, a, a woman who makes a huge difference in her culture and her society. And that's, you know, this, this is the vision for uh, being a wife and a mother the Bible has within this framework of a husband leads and a wife submits. But look, this is a powerful, dynamic, godly wife. We have got a problem with the idea of authority and submission because we misunderstand and forget the Christian view of authority. The Christian view of authority and leadership is this, that is to be exercised as a duty of care. It is an act of service. It's a position of responsibility to ensure the flourishing and nurture of those who, over whom we have authority. So very practically, uh, this last week, my, wife, uh, my mother, I've never confused the two. <laughs> my mother submitted her life and her body to the surgeons this, this, last, this last week. She, she let them render her unconscious and do all sorts of things to her body. She submitted her, bo- her body to them with the given understanding that they had a duty to care for her well-being. She put herself literally in their hands, knowing that they had a profound sense of surgeons to have a duty of care to make her body better. The head of our country is called what? The prime minister. Ever thought about that? The prime servant is actually what what is being said. Uh, Because they are given the role to serve in the best interests of the people of this country. They're responsible for governing of our nation, tasked with forming policies and promoting, uh, that will promote human life and human society in our nation. Think about this. We as Christians, men and women, are called to submit our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ, all of us. And what are we doing? Well, we're putting ourselves as those who are fully dependent upon him to protect and care for our souls. 
That is the, the vision of Christian leadership and authority. And that is the view that is given to men if they are husbands to lead in that way in the home. Wives are called to submit to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord. We're talking about a Christian marriage view here. Uh, What motivates this submission? Well, it is something that fits under our submission under the Lord Jesus Christ. And she's to do that to a man who has this understanding of his God-given role to love his wife. In the first century, you can actually find, uh, well, right down through ancient history, there's lots of different codes you'll find in different cultures about how households are to function. Uh, it, it wasn't just our culture that had Mrs. Beaton's book. Uh, there were Mrs. Beaton's books of different cultures. And what's fascinating to me is that it is only um, in the Bible that you will find a command for husbands to love their wives. None of the other ancient codes have that requirement. It's a revolutionary requirement. Husbands are to love their wives. And Christian love is more than making love. Look back at verse 12 in these verses and see some of the attitudes that are perfected by love here. This is what love kind of looks like in its different facets. Compassion. What's compassion? It's about caring about the needs of others. Kindness. What's that? Well, kindness is about doing good to others. Humility. What's that? Well, it's about treating others as better than ourselves. Gentleness. It's kind of the opposite of being assertive and demanding. And patience is about waiting. These are little facets of windows into what love is. Because love is the overcoat that perfects and goes over all these different attitudes. And the conduct that flows from that is just as applicable in marriage. Look at verse 13. We need these verses for our marriages. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Here are the attitudes and the conduct of love. And husbands, we are commanded to love our wives in these ways. What motivates Love like that? Well, Paul spells out a little bit earlier in the book of Ephesians. Turn back to page 1176. Here is the example of love that spurs a husband to love his wife. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as... Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. In the same way, verse 28, if we look down to verse 28, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. We'll come back to Colossians. 
you see that husbands are commanded to love their wife in a way that is sacrificial to themselves so that his wife will be cared for and flourish. There's the vision of a Christian family, of a Christian marriage. Much tension in marriage comes when the husband gets it into his head that his wife is failing in some area of their marriage or home life and allowing that resentment to fester and sour. I think this is a particular temptation for men whose wives give up paid jobs to look after a young family. The husband comes home from work, tired, and uh, finds fault with his spouse who hasn't quite managed to create the domestic bliss and tranquility that he unreasonably expected. Somebody's got in his head, she just sits around all day drinking coffee with her friends when it's actually exhausting to take care of children. And so we've got this command, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Why do you think he commands this? Because it is a particular temptation for men to be harsh. Husbands, love your wives, do not be harsh with them, and wives, submit to your husbands. And so here's something I want husbands to think about today. Um, A husband must take some responsibility for making his wife's submission to him a good and joyful thing. So husbands, are you making your wife's submission to you a good and joyful thing? Is she happy to submit to you because of the way you love her? Here's something for wives to think about. A wife must take some responsibility for making her husband loving her a good and joyful thing. So wives, are you making this command for husbands to love you something that is good and joyful for them? Now, these are, these are principles that each couple will have their own unique way of working out. What I love about this is, is actually it's quite a simple little thing, isn't it? It's not giving you multiple situations. We'll all have different contexts. We'll have the different life stages in our married life as we get older. And these will work this way out in different ways with our different personalities. But here are the principles that we can work out on. And it's a delicate dance of love and responsibility that will take ongoing effort, but whose reward is a flourishing marriage. Second pairing. Parents and children. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Now notice with me, what is implied here is the duty of parents, Christian parents, uh, specifically of fathers in fact, to inspire and encourage Christian values and Christian faith in their children. That's what's implicit here, isn't it? This vision of parenting, that the home life is one that encourages in their children an adoption of faith in Christ and Christian values in the home. I love the way that the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter, turns to address the children. He speaks specifically to the children. Obey your parents in everything. Children are are addressed as responsible Christians. 
He speaks to children who are still part of the household of their parents with an expectation that they'll want to please the Lord Jesus in the way that they live. Isn't that wonderful? And so children can become Christians and should be encouraged to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. What a great little image, Sam peeking away and as he's been taught to pray by his parents who pray for him at the end of the day. And one of the marks that uh, these children love Jesus will be that they want to obey their parents. It pleases the Lord Jesus when children obey their parents. This is one of the incredible things about the Lord's life itself, wasn't it? You read in the book of Luke how uh, even as a child, he submitted to his uh, earthly parents by obeying them. An extraordinary thing. The Son of God come in human flesh, sinless, and yet he submits himself to sinful parents. He obeys them. An extraordinary example of what godly children are to do. And it says, in the context of that loving home, he grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. And notice the counterpoint to the, to the people of parental authority in the home. Do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. There are at least a couple of ways that children can become embittered and discouraged in their lives. One is to have a house that, is, uh, that has a harsh, coercive dad who dominates with threats, shouting, anger, and with rules that seem to squash the life out of their children. That's one way you can embitter children. Another way is to be a totally passive father who never sets any boundaries or imposes any sort of loving discipline. Both will embitter and discourage children. Children can be discouraged by being unnecessarily provoked, nagged, or belittled, or even simply just by being ignored and neglected. Both are roots of this, of this sad and sorry state. And so fathers and mothers have been given a God-given role to parent our children. Parents, you know what? God has given you these children. They're a gift from him. And you've been given a role by God to grow a Christian household where your children will be loved and nurtured and cared for, disciplined, and taught how to trust Jesus for themselves. How's it going? We have such a unique privilege uh, to, to show love to our children, to commend the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to them, and by our words and examples to shape them for the rest of their lives. And so I want to encourage parents, do you take time uh, as parents just to get together and talk about how your kids are getting on? Not just their education and their sports, but how they get on spiritually. How they're getting on as you read the Bible with them and seek to pray with them. Are we praying for our children? Are we encouraging them to trust Christ? Are we modeling to them the values of Christ's kingdom? Or are we too harsh and domineering? Or are we too lax and indifferent? These, these are great conversations to be having together as parents. In truth, Sean and I have not really read too many parenting books because I think we, we had it modeled to us by our parents. We saw in their marriage and in their family life a model that I think we've just unconsciously adopted. 
And as I think back to my home, my home was a place of safety, love, laughter, and of faith. And growing up in my father's house, I knew that the Bible was important because at mealtimes, he would read the Bible with us as a family, regularly. And I would see them head off uh, on their own to read the Bible for themselves. Mom and dad would often go down and just read the Bible together or on their own. I knew that prayer was important because dad prayed with us and for us as a family. He would urge us as children to come with him to the church prayer meetings. If we were just watching the tell, he would say, come to the prayer meeting. Come on. I knew that church was important because going to church was not an option. It was mandatory. It wasn't even a point of discussion. If I was in my father's house, I had to go to school and I had to go to church. There wasn't even a point debating about it. It's just the way it was. And I saw my dad going to elders meetings, uh, showing hospitality to students and singles and other families. See, the way that my parents used to invite non-Christians in their home and invite them to events. The lordship of Jesus Christ, you see, shaped the family I grew up in. And that's had a profound shape on me. And I thank God for that example. And my friends, even if you've never experienced that yourselves, you can create new, a new family dynamic. You can do this in your household. The lordship of Jesus Christ extends over our whole lives, our marriages, our children, our home life. And as I prepare this, uh, this, this week, I've been praying very much for people who maybe are not in that situation of being in marriages and uh, not having children. And whether we're single, um, having never married, or, or a widow, or a widower, uh, whether we've been divorced, our homes can still be a place of welcome, love, and care, where the presence of the Lord Jesus is experienced by all who come in, because we're a people who talk of Christ there, who talk to him in prayer, who open his word. The Lord Jesus wants to sanctify all of our homes, to be in all of our lives. And so look, as we think about these principles, this framework, this Christian framework for a flourishing family, I'm well aware that probably all of us are just feeling at different levels a sense of guilt and we've fallen short. All of us. My guess is that as parents, you're probably doing much better than you realize. But where we have failed and come short, just come to the Lord Jesus today and know that in him we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And know this today. The past does not have to define our present and our future. Know that Jesus wants to empower our lives and uh, to help us put off the old self, to put on the new self that he's creating in the image of God and, and that we can become like him. And as parents, in the difficult complexities of life in a sinful world, Ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom so that you know how you can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That opening prayer from the book of Colossians just helps us see that this is so complex. The truth is that we've all got messy lives, messy families. We live in a messy society and yet we've got a great king who's come to redeem and save and 
change and transform. And so there's great hope for us. Uh, We're going to close in a moment. See a baptism. Have a closing song. But uh, at the end, I want you to put the next screen up for us. Just to encourage you. Last week I encouraged that we would have the word of Christ dwelling by asking each other some questions. Well, uh, the safe one is, what what, what did the sermon make you think about today? How will this morning make a difference to you? But for married couples, can I encourage you to make some time this week to ask yourselves these questions? And I'll post them on Facebook this week. What can you do to make your wife's submission a good and joyful thing? If you're a wife, what can you do to make your husband's love a good and joyful thing? And parents, there's some questions for you to think about with your own parenting. Why don't you take time this week to stop and specifically think about how you can apply I have the great joy this week of knowing I've, I'm going to have a great week in my marriage because my wife's in Sydney. It's going to be very hard for me to mess it up this week. But you can pray for me because she's coming back. And, and it gets a lot more complex then. So let's, we can all be praying for each other in this. Let's pray, shall we?